Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Going to do a little venting to start off, only because it kind of struck me funny this morning. Um, basically, every Saturday, Sunday morning, I have a ritual where I get up and I answer a bunch of comments, emails, try to keep up with that stuff as best I can. It's been very, very difficult lately, only because it tends to be when the weather heats up, that's when people are out buying tarantulas, and that's when they have questions about them. And unfortunately, I teach, and the nature of the job that I have this is my busy time of the year usually, so I'm really trying desperately to keep up, and I feel terrible when I'm not able to answer comments because I know people you know, reach out, and a lot of times they feel like it's time-sensitive, they're panicking because something's molting or whatnot, so I try to get on them, but it gets very, very difficult. And I have to say that one of the you know downsides of the fact that the channel's doing very, very well and my website's doing very, very well is that it means a lot more people, a lot more traffic, and a lot more people are going to be there asking questions. That's just the nature of the beast, and I guess that's you know one of the penalties you pay for having a successful website and YouTube channel, and I'll discuss a little bit more about that in a minute. But while trying to keep on top of all these, what what's kind of started to to wear on me a little bit, because I've been doing this for a few years now, and again, I've mentioned many times before that as a teacher, I'm used to answering the same question over and over again. I'm used to trying to explain the same thing or teach the same thing different ways to try to connect with different people with different learning styles and different viewpoints. Uh, One of the things that really kills me sometimes, though, is with the videos, particularly... I will. I start doing the videos after uh, doing the website for a while. After my daughter Sydney encouraged me to take it more seriously, and I think I've explained this story before. But basically, what was going on was I would use the YouTube channel to just post up things that I caught. Like I'd be in my room, I'd see something cool with my phone. I'd record it to show Billy or the kids, or you know, some of my kids at school, or you know, some friends. Like, oh yeah, here's an OBT that's aggravated. I think that was the first one I ever uh, posted up there was my OBT slapping when we opened the door and closed it. And then I had some feeding videos I just kind of did for fun to show Billy because sometimes she wasn't around when I was doing the feedings and whatnot. But uh, Sydney was the one that said you should take this seriously and do more. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I started taking it a little more seriously. And I liked the medium because with the articles, I've been in the business of teaching long enough to recognize that people do not like to read, unfortunately. Um, heck, I don't even read as much as I used to. I used to be a, a avid reader a long time ago and well not even that long ago but I used to read constantly at least a couple books a week and now if I get a book done a month it's great great I read a lot of articles online and things of that nature but as far as fiction goes there's not a lot of reading going and a lot of it's due to distractions of I do like playing video games so as much as I don't think they're the devil they do consume a lot of time and pull people away from reading and I watch a lot of movies and things of that nature. And, of course, we have the tarantula. So I have a lot going on with it. But having taught for many years, I recognize a lot of people, when you tell them to read something, they don't want to bother with it. And is it sad? Yes. Is it a commentary on the fact that you know people aren't reading as much because of the distractions of electronics and cell phones and things of that nature? Probably. Who knows? But that's not the point of what I do. So we're not going to get into that. It's just the reality that people aren't reading as much. So I understood that with the articles, as much as I was trying to make them – is accessible as possible. And the one good thing I can say is that a lot of people have chimed in and said they hate reading and that they love going through my articles. And that makes that really makes it all worthwhile and that it really makes my day. But there are some people I could tell what would happen is I would post an entire article on molting, say, and somebody would chime in, in the comment section. So my spider just buried itself. What does this mean? Does this bad? Does this mean it's a sign of pre-molt? 
and I would look at the article, and right in there in bold would be when your article, when your spider buries itself, it is a likely a sign of premolt. And it's like for crying out loud, you couldn't have just looked at the title. So I was answering a lot of questions, pointing back to the article. And anyway, long story short, YouTube gave me another venue. It was more like teaching, where you're up in front of somebody. Granted, you don't have the back and forth. I enjoy the banter. I enjoy working with people, and you you know it's a back and forth kind of process. But it allows you to demonstrate things much better than it would be to just write about them. So, for a while, I was telling how I did my transfers, and then I went over to YouTube, and I could post videos, so people could literally see exactly what I'm doing for the most part, what I'm seeing, and understand the process a little better. So the idea was YouTube was going to catch more people than the articles would, and it has, because it's easier to sit down and watch a quick video. Now, it's neat because I've got the website going, I've got the podcast going now, and I've got the videos going, and it seems like everybody's got their preferred way of getting information. With the podcast, I've had several people ask me to do uh, species descriptions or talking about you know husbandry and whatnot, and we'll get into that. So I guess everybody's got their own thing that they like to do, but the videos were supposed to capture more. However, it makes it twice as frustrating when I'm trying to answer comments. And what I did this morning is I sat down to answer some comments. And I have a video that's basically I tried to break down some of the beginner species. And I have a whole thing going about beginner species that I'm going to tackle. I have an article I'm working on. There'll be a podcast where we talk about the whole beginner species and intermediate species thing because it's kind of a myth. But we'll get into that. But anyway... We, uh, I sat down to do comments, and one of the comments was, and I kid you not, now this is a video that goes on for, oh God, it's like a 30-minute video where I break out every species. I actually tried to buy some of the species I was missing so that I could talk about them and show them off so people could have something to look at while I was talking. And an individual asked, hey Tom, what's a good beginner species? This is kind of why I get bogged down. So I have this thing where I have to, I try to answer every single comment that comes my way because I feel terrible when I go on other channels and I know it, it must, I, I don't get as much traffic as a lot of people. So it's a little easier for me, but I do get quite a few comments and I feel it's important that if people take the time to comment on your channel to respond and I don't like just doing the thumbs up because like, oh yeah, I read it, but I didn't have the, you know, energy to answer it. I don't like doing that. So I like to answer them. So I answer Everything, and I know I probably shouldn't sometimes, but and sometimes I've had situations. I can think of one individual where it started off as a really silly question, but I ended up forming a pretty good relationship with them, and I think I helped that person out quite a bit. And it, it that's what this is all about. So it's good. But for crying out loud, we have a, a video. The entire video is just me showing off species and and telling about them. Like here is the at the time it was the B. Smithy, and this is what you can expect, and this is the growth rate, and this is how you keep them. I don't understand why people do that. So I guess it's just the nature of the beast, but it, it just kind of caught me this morning only because I have a lot to do this weekend. I had the podcast is obviously going to be a bit late. This is actually being recorded on Sunday morning, believe it or not. So it's uh, a late one. Last night we had UFC on and I was out all day, so I didn't get a chance to do one. But um I got a lot of things to do, and sometimes it just it wears on you a bit and bogs you down when you have to respond to questions that you tried to answer in a video. Like when I make these videos, I usually try to do notes about what I want to cover just so I can make sure I cover all the bases. And then the origin of the comments, the little text that I put on my videos, is because sometimes I forget stuff. I can't remember everything while I'm talking. 
And the point of the comments is to fill in where I might have forgotten to mention something and to make sure I cover all my bases. So to have somebody come through, and it happens all the time. I had one about molting that that was one I actually just addressed earlier where somebody asked, my spider is on its back, is it molting? So apparently they looked up the video on the molting tarantulas. They didn't bother to watch the video. They just sent the comment. And again, I understand people want, there's, there must be some level of comfort from hearing from an actual person as opposed to just reading an article. I know when I first got into the hobby, I would sometimes reach out to people and ask questions. But there were, it was usually after I've exhausted all avenues of research, like I, I couldn't find good information or I was finding conflicting information that I would reach out and ask somebody. But when you have a video there that pretty much describes everything, I mean, I love the comments where people are like, I had questions. I watched your video. Thanks so much. You answered them. Perfect. Or I've had instances where people have gone, you know what? You talked about all this stuff, but you forgot to mention this. Could you help me? That That's beautiful. But it's just the frustration sometimes of trying to keep on top of the comments and everything while I'm answering questions that I've already answered in either an article or a video or now the podcast. It's just... Just sharing some of the love. Now, again, I hope this doesn't come across as really negative, and it's just I've been trying to be more natural with these podcasts, and it's kind of fun sometimes to just vent a bit to people that might understand. So I just, again, not trying to be really negative or anything, and I, and this isn't, I hope this isn't going to be something where everybody's questioning themselves, like, oh, should I have asked this question? No, this is, these are just the ones, it, the biggest issue for me is when it's in a video and somebody asks right out, and then something that I already addressed, it kind of drives me nuts a little bit, a little pet peeve, but Anyway, moving on. The other thing that's been kind of getting me lately is people recommending that I purchase things to make my videos better. Now, I I just have to throw this out there. Um, I do this for fun. I didn't, I don't monetize. I have no interest in monetizing. I've addressed the fact that I created a Patreon account. I think it's Patreon and never did anything with it. It just doesn't feel right. I'm not in this for business. I I started Tom's Big Spiders a while ago. For fun, it was honestly supposed to be a joke, and it, it built up into something really cool, and and I'm proud of it, and I love the fact that it gives me an opportunity to talk to many people about these creatures that most people don't understand. I love all that stuff, but it drives me nuts sometimes as I'll post a video, and somebody's like, oh, you should check out. Somebody the other day sent me a link to a $2,000 camera, and that's fantastic, and I understand there are folks out there that they do a much better job than me production-wise with their videos, uh, much better. I mean, I'm thinking immediately of Petco at Dark Den. I remember his first video was leaps and bounds above anything I've ever done. I watched it years ago, and that's a guy that treats it more like – I mean, you look at Petco. His could be on TV. His could be on a nature show. It's, it's shot beautifully. He's got all the right equipment. He's got the lighting. He's got the uh, microphone. He knows what he's doing in that respect, and I would love to get to that point someday, but – I mean, dropping two grand on a camera, I'm sorry, guys, it's not this important to me. I, I got to throw that out there. Um, I do try to improve my videos every time I come out. With you know, I've got Billy on camera for me. We've, we're going to do some experiments. Somebody did make a great request that I wear a head-mounted GoPro or something so that you can see exactly what I'm seeing during rehousings, and we're going to try that out. Although I will tell you, I put the head-mounted GoPro on, and Billy made fun of me mercilessly. I look like a freaking uber-goober. Like total dork, but we are going to try stuff like that. So I am going to try to improve. And then a couple of years ago, or last summer, I think it was, I bought an editing program to allow me to do more with the editing. But believe me, I recognize the fact that 
the lighting could be better. Uh, flat out, I do have lights. I break them out. But I also need to make it very, very clear. And I'm going to do a video about this as well. And I'm hope- hopefully it doesn't piss people off and, and make them think I don't care because it's not that at all. But it comes down to the fact that I have a lot of animals. And anything I put on video is a bonus for people out there, honestly, because I'm just, I'm, I have a lot to do. So if I see something cool, I break out the video. By the time I break out lights and everything else for some of these things, the stuff I'd be trying to catch would be gone. And another thing is I pride myself on working safely. And I've noticed that when you put lights on tarantulas, most of them do not like bright lights on them. So now you've got amped up tarantulas and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get Good, interesting stuff. I'm trying to get good footage, and I've done a couple experiments with you know the 4K stuff with the good lighting and everything else, but I will tell you, it takes a lot of time to set that stuff up. It takes a lot of time to edit it. I've done tried to do the multi-camera thing before. The editing takes time. It puts a lot of tax, uh, tax to my computer quite a bit. So please understand that those of you that watch my videos, I am trying to incrementally improve them and do th- things here and there. And I do have some things in mind that I would like to change in the future, like the double camera thing is a neat idea. But please keep in mind when you you know tell me I should go out and buy stuff. I'm doing this for fun. I'm not making money from it, and that money is coming out of my pocket. And I will tell you right now that if it comes between buying, hopping on Amazon and buying a $100 light fixture or going and buying a spider, guess what I'm going to buy? It's going to be the spider. So, again, I appreciate feedback. And the guy that talked about putting on the harness, I thought that was a great idea. And he did tell me to think about buying one I actually already own a GoPro so I just picked up a five dollar goofy harness to put it on my head but it's a great idea and I and that's important feedback because if I'm trying to show somebody how to rehouse and I'm talking about things that I'm seeing and they can't see them because Billy can't get in there with the camera and again I try to keep her safe so I don't let have her get really up in it that's very important that's a great suggestion and I actually have a lot of lighting equipment now and I try to break it out but sometimes it's just not possible so I do again for there are Play, uh, stations out there or YouTube channels out there do a, a beautiful job with this and I understand and someday I do hope to get to that level of quality but I will say it, I was much more prolific posting videos when I didn't do as much as the fancy stuff because I could just kind of take it from my phone throw a title on it and put it up I've tried to improve things over the years but it does take time and time's a huge commodity over here for me so again I appreciate suggestions and everything else just please keep in mind I'm not getting money for this so when you tell me to go out and buy equipment it's kind of like you've got to be kidding me uh, although I knew I know the intentions they're good intentions and all it just gets frustrating at times so all right I feel like this thing just started off completely negative and I'm just kind of going off so we got to get something in here about spiders so I'm going to talk about something an update kind of on what's been happening in my collection I mentioned before that I was having some issues with gnats the gnats are now gone we've gotten rid of that situation it was it did come down to one bad bag of substrate that had the gnats in it and basically any container that had that substrate in it it didn't matter if I dried them out for a little bit they'd go away and as soon as I added water they were back and unfortunately I had used it for an emperor scorpion female who is currently grabbing quite fat and I used it for a couple other ones so what I did was just replace the substrate that was originally infected with these gnats and that seemed to do the trick there's no gnats anymore thank gosh However, we had something else come up that I'm going to share and it's going to change kind of the way I keep a bit and I've addressed this before but it's become a huge issue now and basically to make a very long story short, this winter 
I went to go purchase some topsoil to set up some enclosures with because I was getting a bunch of new ones in. I had gotten some in from Tanya, and I got my chicken spiders in. I had a lot of stuff coming in. I run out of substrate, and it was getting colder. So unfortunately, I went to Home Depot and Lowe's where I usually get my substrate from. I usually get Timberline or Scott's. I've been using it for years without incident. And they unfortunately had already packed it up and shrink-wrapped it from the winter because most people weren't doing any gardening where it was getting chillier. I think it was around, I want to say October or so probably. So Billy happened to notice that we have an Agway, which is a, kind of a farm supply store. They sell grain and stuff like that and feed and hay, and they carry soil, and they still had their soil out. So I got a bag of Agway soil and mixed some stuff up, and I got a bunch of stuff from Tanya right around November, and I set them up on this soil, and everything was fine. Well, recently I've had a string of deaths to the point like I've never had anything like this in my collection. I've been doing this for years, and it was the type of thing that really shook my confidence a bit because I pride myself on not having a lot of deaths, but it seemed like I was losing a lot of fossorial or burrowing species. And the deaths were pretty much very, very similar. It was all species that were burrowing species that, or at least were doing some burrowing. They all had moist substrate. And basically, they would eat, 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 eat great, get nice and fat, go into pre-molt, and one of two things would happen. A, it would die before molting. And you could tell these were big, fat spiders in some cases, you know, looking ready to pop as far as how big they were and just didn't molt and died and crawled up. Um, several of them down in their burrows, so they would basically pre-molt, close the top of their burrows off, and they were dead. Or, in three instances, yep, three, they flipped over to molt and either got halfway out of the molt and died, or in two cases, completely out of the molt and just literally died on their backs. And it's (laughs) depressing would probably be the word. Again, I have gone years with just a death here and there. Um, we've had, you know, the impaction deaths, but small things here and there, nothing major. I've never had any big die-offs. Well, this one so far has cost me probably nine tarantulas. And I pride myself on my husbandry, on making sure I care for these things correctly, to make sure I, I watch them, I make adjustments. If I see something that looks like it wants to burrow, I didn't give enough substrate, I will rehouse it, put more substrate in. If I notice a species, even a species that isn't known for wanting moist soil, if I notice it's hanging around the water dish or hanging around a moist spot of substrate, then I will change and add up and moisten it. I haven't changed anything in my husbandry and how I do things in the several years I've been doing it. So to have things just start dying off in that type of fashion is uh, horrifying, absolutely horrifying. It got to be the point where I hated feeding the tarantulas because I'd break out containers, open them up, and there would be a dead spider. And basically what it has come down to is I got another bag of the Agway substrate. And this was when I'd only had like two deaths and I thought it was just coincidence, you know, something went wrong, whatever. And the thing that was freaking me out about it the most is one of the things you worry about, and I've talked to a couple buddies about this, is about bacteria and substrate. We all talk about, you know, spiders dying mysteriously. Well, there's a thought that there could be bacteria, harmful bacteria in substrate. You never know what's what's going on in there, and that could be killing them, especially ones that are kept foss- like fossorially, is that even a word, fossorially, um, the burrowing ones that are kept in deep substrate that you moisten and re-moisten. There's, in nature, that's going to filter out. There's going to be plants. There's going to be microbes. There's going to be little bugs that eat things. For a fossorial species, you start thinking, 
they're buried in that same dirt for a year or two that it basically can stagnate. You can get bacteria. So you can have a spider that dies mysteriously that could be dying from some type of bacterial infection, which is something that kind of, you know, when you start thinking about it, it becomes worrisome. The thing that freaked me out about these dying is they had all been recently rehoused. This was fresh substrate. And unfortunately, when it first starts happening, you don't put two and two together. You're like, this one died. That was sad. This one died. Oh, crud. What's going on? Look at it. It was in good shape. It was eating well. You look at how you're keeping it. Full water dish, clean water. I've, it's moist substrate. The temperature's right. Temperatures were great all winter long. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, it came down to a bag of Agway I opened, poured it out, and it looked like it had a greenish tinge to it. And I'm like, that's not good. So I picked some of this stuff up. I'm looking through it, and it has the little green fertilizer balls, and I've mentioned this in an earlier one, earlier podcast, and I think on a video, a little green fertilizer ball. At first, I thought it was a BB, and I actually bit it like an idiot, and it was super bitter, and I looked it up online. It was a fertilizer ball. So the supposedly organic substrate that I bought from a farming supply store was full of added chemicals. It was some type of fertilizer. So I started worrying about possibly if the bag I got in November and or October had the same thing or if there was something else in it. Well, I started talking to Rachel Pan, who is studying biology. She works for Fearmont Tarantulas, and we go back and forth, and we're talking about she uh, started writing a paper about how herbicide can affect spiders, and one of the things it can do is dry them up. So if you think if you've got a spider that's molting, that takes a lot of fluid, and that's a time where they're very open to drying out because they're exposed when they first molt, they're soft and moist and they haven't hardened up. If that could be something, if there's an herbicide, it started making me think maybe this had an herbicide. So now I've got, now I'm really running, my mind's going crazy. So I started, luckily when I do the videos, it kind of gives me a timestamp of when I've changed things. Well, I looked and the ones that had died were all rehoused around November when I got that new shipment in. And at the same time, I rehoused a couple of my larger ones. They were all in those bags, that bag of substrate. There might have been two. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I actually did buy a second one later on. So there were two eventually. But one of them was the one I bought in October. All the ones that were dying were on that substrate. So now I'm looking at something that is terrifying because I can't. I bought a lot of spiders come November. I got a lot of things in. There was probably twenty or thirty. Now, luckily, what saved me is I got a bunch of slings in, and I used that crappy Lagardi that I'm not using anymore. But I used it for all my slings. So, had my slings all been on the substrate, I got a funny feeling I'd have about a, uh, two dozen dead slings. Luckily, they did not. However, T. psychedelicus, I got in were originally in the, they were in their little capsules, they were in the little uh, dram bottles, I had moved them onto this substrate, and dead, absolutely can't even begin to, and again, I don't care, I've made this point before, it could be a $5 spider, it could be a $500 spider, for me, it's the fact that I lost an animal, that's what kills me, it's not the money part of it, I've, you know, again, I lost a freebie years ago, and I was devastated with it, it bothers me no matter what, but to have these beautiful animals that are doing well, eating, they've, they've turned the enclosure into, it's got the little volcano up the top, they got their den the bottom, taking, easily taking roaches down once, once a week, sometimes even more, fatten up real nice, close off the burrows, and just die in the bottom. That was it. So I realized that basically this bag of dirt was killing off the majority of my spiders. So what I ended up doing and what I'm doing now and going through the process of doing is trying to go through my videos and track down who might be on this dirt, which I'll tell you is 
not a lot of fun because I did a lot of rehousings in the winter, and I've got to assume that they were the two bags. The first one bought in October, and the one I believe I bought another one later on. They had to go and drag it out of the back because it was cold and frozen. But now I've got to go back and try to figure out who's on these and change them. So what I've been doing is using the old cocoa fiber, which I stopped using years ago, but now I'm back to using mixing it with some sand, mixing it with some... I'm going to do some experimenting with clay, mixing it with vermiculite, of course, for the moist ones, and I've been getting in huge quantities, so rehydrating like a lot of it at the same time, and we'll be doing mass rehousings over here. So first we have the, the gnats, now we have what I believe was probably essentially a poisoned bag or two of substrate. Now I'll tell you, if I had been new to the hobby and this had happened to me, I would have quit, and I'm not going to lie, and I have to like, a huge shout out to Tanya from Fear Not Tarantulas. Rachel, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with them because I pride myself on my husbandry and to have something like this happen, it just starts to, you start to question yourself. Now, luckily I have years of experience with nothing like this ever happening. Uh, I've got stuff that I've raised from babies to adults that have done just fine. Some that have matured under my care. So it, it shouldn't shake the confidence a bit, but I'll tell you, when you're when you're public and you're vocal and you're writing about tarantulas and you're doing videos about tarantulas, to suddenly start have a bunch of them die off really freaks you out. So the good news is, to summarize this long story, um, we figured out what it is. It's it's definitely seems well, I'm I'm ninety percent positive it's something to do with the substrate. Every single one I've lost so far was on that. Agway substrate. So that just seems too much of a coincidence. The fact that they're all dying the same basic way, either before molt or during molt, points to something that is inhibiting them from molting correctly, which could be an herbicide. I don't know what fertilizers do. I, I've been trying to do some studying on that. So if anybody knows the effects of like chemical fertilizer, if it has any effects on the molting process of insects or arachnids, please let me know. I'd love to hear it. But there's something that's stopping them from molting and killing them. And it has taken a huge chunk out of my collection. It has taken a huge chunk out of my uh, drive to do this at times because it's just like I come home and I go around with a flashlight and do this all the time anyway. I check on my animals constantly. I, I feed all of them once a week, which allows me to go and change water dish and everything, but I check on them constantly. I have flashlights in my room, and it was just getting to be like, who's going to die next? And it shook my confidence quite a bit. And uh, so, again, thanks – the people that kind of not talk me down, but it was nice having people that understood and that could kind of back me up that sometimes this stuff happens. I just wish it wouldn't happen to me. So hopefully we're done with the die off here. It, it, <laughs> I can't take too much more of that. I wanted to downsize this summer, but definitely not that way. And it becomes very, very depressing when, the, for me, the hobby, tarantulas, that's my happy place. When I come home and I have a stressful day at work, feeding them, maintaining them, it gives me a good fuzzy feel and I enjoy doing it. It allows me to relax and it hasn't been relaxing here for the last couple months because of this. So hopefully we're done with that. But it leads to a, well, not funny story, kind of sad story. And hopefully, I, I'm hoping people are appreciating this and not getting the wrong idea. This seems like this whole podcast came out very, very negative. But I think a lot of times we, when we're public with what we're doing with videos and stuff, we try to put forth the most positive image possible 
to, I think, in some places, you don't want to lose credibility. Obviously, people can shred you if you ever go on um, some of the message boards and Facebook groups and somebody does something wrong in a video or whatnot, they can be torn apart. And I think a lot of times people don't want to say it. But I do think it's important to be realistic and transparent in this hobby, especially if you're public. To let people know things can go wrong. It does happen to me. I mean, I, I never thought I'd lose that many spiders in a three, four-month period. It was about a five-month period. But there you go. I mean, it, it happens. So... Hopefully this doesn't come across as super negative, but I will end with this story as I ramble on. This wasn't really what I planned to do. This whole podcast was originally going to be about Pisolotheria, so this is how it's my ADHD kicking in apparently here. Basically, I have a T-Sturmy female that I've raised and just sling. She's my pride and joy. I absolutely, not only is she just a beautiful specimen, but it was a huge matter of pride for me when I got her as a sling, her and her brother. Uh, are both, I have them both now, both adults. And anyway, she was getting, she was humongous. She's probably about eight and a half inches or was eight and a half inches now. And basically she went into pre-molt and I noticed that she was starting to spend some time outside of her burrow, right upside the uh, side of the enclosure. So I've been keeping an eye on her because I figured pretty soon she was going to flip to molt. And I was really curious to see how much size she was going to put on. So anyway, and this, there's going to be a video for this one too, where I'll show what I saw. But after having all the issues with the molts, I've never had problems with molts in my entire career until this year. And having all these spiders dying either when they went to pre-molt or during molting was really freaking me out. So once again, I was like your basic newbie where the spider's flipping like, oh my God, is he going to die? Is he going to be okay? And like, there's nobody really can go to. You just sit there and stare at the spider and pray to God it it comes through. So I basically waiting for it to flip. And the other day, Billy ran out to get something and I shine my flashlight in and she's on her back. And I'm like, yes, here we go. And then I look a little more closely and there looks like what appears to be mold all over that fuzzy and I don't know if you guys have seen the different some of you have seen the different types of mold but you get the white mold then you get this mold that you sometimes get on substrate it's like a it looks like fuzzy hair almost it was all over her bottom on her fangs on her legs all around her just completely covered in mold and what looked like had happened to me this is sad because I've been doing this a long time it looked like the spider had died and begun to decompose and got mold on so immediately my heart sank. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is my baby. I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm sick of coming in here and finding things dead. And I've been so excited about this one molting that to see it like that was killing me. So I, I carefully took her enclosure out, put it on my dinner table, you know, careful not to jo- you know, jostled around too much, opened it up and checked her out. And Again, when they molt, they appear stiff. Usually you can detect some micro movements as they're starting to pulsate and try to get the old exoskeleton off. But she was stiff as could be, not moving, stared at her, waiting for some sign that she was alive, wasn't moving. And there was this fuzz all over everything, which looked, again, just like mold. So I texted Billy. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. The Sturmy's dead. And we kind of, she was really upset because she knows, you know, she gets as upset as I do. These are pets as much as, you know. I, I, we don't hug them and cuddle them, and, and I know I get a lot of flack because a lot of them don't have names, but I love these animals. And this one particularly, this big, beautiful girl, was it was just killing me to see her like that. So she came home. We were looked at. She did the same thing, apparently, came with the flashlight and just stared at her for like 20 minutes waiting for her to move. There was no movement. But again, big spider, molts take time. It just It was that fuzz that was concerning me. So I put her back in her on her shelf and I figure I'll check on her in the morning. She had been, I checked on her the day before that. So it'd probably been 24 hours. She'd been on her back or so. 
Well, the next morning we come down and I'm like ready to be really upset because I'm expecting her to be dead or not have moved and she had molted. What had happened, and I've, I've not seen this before, and I do hope people chime in because it, it blew my mind. And again, this is one part, this is literally one part confident shaken from all the dead spiders molting. I'm just expecting them to be dead now. That's how bad it got. Um, and another part, I've never seen this before, and I've seen a lot of tarantulas molt, and I've seen Sturmies molt before. What she did basically was kick off all of the hair on her abdomen and it looks like rolled it. Like basically, I, I noticed her the day before, or two days before this, she was sitting in that spot on the substrate. And I noticed she had flattened herself completely out, which is odd. Almost like if anybody's seen when they plank when they're getting, after they molt, when they're stretching out, she was laying down. It looks like what she did was kicked her hair, which a lot of them will do. Like tarantulas, when they go into molt, they will kind of... Uh, put a protective barrier around where they're going to molt by the kick hairs all over the webbing. But this one kicked it to the point where it was like fuzzy clumps of it and then rolled in it. So the fuzz I was seeing was all of her abdominal hair. She's not a big kicker. So she had it all. She had a full butt of hair and she had a big old butt. So there was plenty of hair to be had. When she did this, she basically covered her bottom. So when we flipped over, there was a huge coating of this stuff and I'm going to get pictures of it. It's just covered, absolutely covered in urticating hairs. So I started thinking about it. And first I was like, all right, maybe it was just an accident. She kicked a little too much hair and rolled in. But I started thinking, this could be a brilliant way to defend yourself when you're molting. In the wild, they might not be able to find a big crevice to molt in, or they might be molting out in the open. So by covering themselves with this hair, if they flip over while they're in you know, a 24-hour period or however long it takes them for the molt, while they are on their back exposed, that is incredibly dangerous for them. Animals can be sniffing around, looking for something to eat, free meal, spider flipped over, start chowing down, but the animal comes up sniffing it and it's covered in this hair, it's going to get a nose full of urticating hairs, which is going to be ridiculously unpleasant and drive the animal away. So I'm left, and again, I don't like, I, I have a hard time sometimes where people notice something happen and assign this big grandiose idea about what the spiders are doing, where it's, all right, it happened once, we don't know if that's really the case, but in this instance, it made a lot of sense that this thing purposely covered itself in its own hairs to protect itself when it was flipped over because it did not molt inside its burrow it molted outside the burrow so i don't know if that's the case but it's certainly it's a compelling argument i really kind of convinced that might have been what happened but i would be curious to hear from anybody else who had ever seen this before because it was when you see the pictures of it and unfortunately she after she ended up molting she ended up munching the molt to get the moisture out of it and it's but you can still see the hairs you can get a, a good idea i should have gotten video of it when she was flipped over but i was too upset because i thought she might be dead so interesting idea there that this one purposely because she was molting outside her burrow and would be technically exposed per, i'm guessing might not be the case and people can disagree but it seemed to me like she purposely covered her whole underside with urticating hairs as a deterrent for anything that might be sniffing. Because you figure if something's going to come up to them, it's going to be a mammal or something, they're going to come up, they're going to sniff it, and then they're going to try taking a bite. In this case, when they sniff it, it's going to be right up the old nasal cavities. I can't even imagine how painful that would be. I actually got some hairs on my arm when I opened it up to check on her when she was on her back, and that was unpleasant enough. I can't imagine having them up my nose. So 
There's a story for people that when they come up to me and say, oh, you probably think I'm silly, but I'm freaking out because my tarantula is molting. No, it happens to all of us. Even some of us have been doing this for years, especially if you have a situation where you have a bunch of dirt that's killing your spiders during pre-molt and molt. That tends to freak you out. So I've been there. Please understand when people ask me questions and they go, I'm so sorry, you've probably heard this before. As long as you're not asking me something I just covered in a video. We did just kind of cover that. But I I have no problem answering questions because I do remember very much what it's like to have those feelings. I just had them recently myself. If you're keeping animals and you care, legitimately care about your animals, you are going to worry. You're going to have some anxiety involved when things don't look like they're going right. I think that's perfectly normal and natural. So again, I share this only, these stories only because I think so much of what I share is good stuff and and rehousings and things that are going well, but I do think it's important to share the things that don't go well. And I do think this has huge ramifications for me going ahead on how I'm going to keep my spiders. Because I will tell you right now, I have used probably, oh gosh, over the course of the years, dozens of bags of topsoil. And as far as I know, with the exception of a couple that had some fungus in them, I have had no issues with the topsoil at all. I have tarantulas that have been in there on topsoil for years, no issues whatsoever. One, it took one bad bag to really change my thought about this. So now I'm, again, I think it probably comes down to I would never use Agway again. That's that's obviously not going to happen. But it did get me thinking a little more about the fact that, yes, sure, probably most of the topsoil I use is fine. There are no issues with it. And I think in most cases, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many keepers I talk to that use topsoil with no issues. I think most cases it's fine, but it does start you thinking about the fact that you're never going to know what's on that stuff. You don't know where they get it. A lot of times they do new construction sites and they go out there and they pull the stuff that's off the top and they bag it up. You know, it's, it's coming from somewhere and you never know what was used in that area. They can say it's organic. Who's really calling them on it? Probably nobody. So Agway says there's organic. I've never seen little green phosphorus pills or whatever the heck that was growing on trees, dropping in substrates. That obviously wasn't organic, but hey, they they sold it. They got away with it. But I do think it's important to start considering things like that. So it's got me thinking moving ahead about what I use. For the time being, I'm a little gun shy with the topsoil, so I'll be using the cocoa fiber once again, and I'm having fun doing it. You know, it's it's neat because I'm kind of going through and doing mass rehousing, so it's kind of like I move this one to this place, and I give this one, this one's enclosure, and it's it's I get to see some of the ones I haven't seen in a while because they're burrowed, so I am enjoying it. I just rehoused a, what the heck was it, an H gigas that uh, I hadn't seen in a while, so I got to see her, and she was actually a total sweetheart with it. So it's been nice in a way because I think a lot of these guys were due for a cleaning, so a rehousing, it works just as good. New substrate, start from scratch. I will probably go back to using some brands of it going ahead. I've never had issues with Scott's with the exception of it being chunky. Uh, Timberline's always been good. And I know people have used that for many, many years, but it did get me thinking. And for the time being, I'm backing off. So when you're watching my videos and you start going, Hey, wait a minute, is he using cocoa fiber? Yes, I probably am. I'm getting rid of dirt for a while. I'm going to go with cocoa fiber. And then what I will do is if I start using dirt again, I will start using more of the cleaner insects and things of that nature. 
again, I keep referring to the bioactive enclosures, and hopefully in the next uh, two or three weeks, I'll be getting my buddy Ryan Mack to actually get guest spot on the podcast so we can talk about them because I want to learn more about them. I'm about to redo my entire tarantula room coming up, new shelving, change everything around, change cages, and I do want to make some bioactive enclosures because I've heard some amazing things about them. And one of the things that really is attracting me to it is the fact that it does make a little micro ecosystem which does help with bacteria and things of that nature so that would definitely be something i want to do going ahead would love to experiment in that and it would be a new facet of of the hobby for me to explore because i i do enjoy setting up enclosures mine are rather spartan compared to some people's but i do have showcase spiders i really want to get into some nice things and ryan's doing some beautiful work with not only his enclosure designs he's making his own enclosures but the setups the backdrops the live plants is just something i'd really like to explore so that will probably be ryan will probably be my first guest on the podcast because summer's coming up which is a great thing because I'm going to have a lot of time to get these things banged out and hopefully we won't have any last minute ones like this one and it'll allow me to do a little more experimenting with the videos which will be great and hopefully we'll be able to do maybe a video with Ryan and the podcast and an article so people can learn more about bioactive enclosures plus what he's working on he's going to he's got a great business going with him and it'll be fun to share so we have that to look forward to so i think that's going to be about it for this one i think it's hysterical that i just spoke about 40 minutes and never covered the topic of pisolatheria but hopefully you guys enjoy this one i don't know how i'm even going to title it cuz it's kind of a hodgepodge i don't know a discussion of soil and what makes me grumpy on a Sunday morning I have no idea and again I just hope it didn't come across as negative it's just kind of fun to vent sometimes about things that go on either between the channel and the website and whatnot and I hope nobody out there thinks this is directed towards them it's there's nobody in particular it's just some sharing some of the trials and tribulations quote-unquote that I go through doing this stuff but again I absolutely enjoy it it's fun doing um it's so incredibly rewarding some of the emails and messages I get because for me this is just it's it's a hobby it's just another way to enjoy the hobby I teach for a living and I enjoy doing it and to see the response I get sometimes from these things really makes it worthwhile it's just it's very rewarding and fulfilling as far as teaching goes and as far as helping out a hobby that I absolutely love so Next time, I'll, I promise I'll keep it more positive, and in a moment, we're probably going to go ahead and record the Pisolatheria one I was supposed to be doing a minute ago. So thanks so much for listening. Again, if you want to comment, you can go over to Facebook, but I'm behind on comments. Again, I apologize. I, got, I just opened up my Facebook uh, message box and, and got it like an anxiety bellyache because I've, I've got a lot of things to respond to. So again, I apologize. Um, of course, I've always got the website, which I'm going to be doing a lot more work on this summer, and then, of course, my channel. So, as usual, thanks so much for anybody that takes the time to listen to these. I'm watching my, what do you call it, listenership? I don't know what the word is for it. The number of listeners I have are growing weekly, which is great and very encouraging, and I will continue to do them. And I'm glad I was able to keep the streak alive by getting this one done on a Sunday morning. Um, Billy's probably going to roll in here any minute, so we're going to button this one up. So again, thanks so much. Happy spidering and good night, which makes absolutely zero sense because it's literally 9.39 in the morning. I, I give up. Have a good one, guys.